police. We've had some complaints about con men pretending to be blind and uh, crippled. Oh, I'd love to help you, man, but I ain't seen nothing since I stepped on that landmine in Viet Cong back in 72. It was rough, very painful. You were in Nam? So were we. Where? Um, I was in, um, Sang Bang, Dangang. Uh, uh, I was all over that place, basically. A lot of places. A lot of places. I can see! I can see! I have, le- I can- I have legs! I have legs! Oh, shit! Look at this! Man! I can walk! Jesus! Praise Jesus! Welcome to Cinema Sugar Bombs. I'm your host, Dan, from SlipThroughMovies.com. I'm bringing you sweet spoonfuls of movie news and reviews from a movie nerd who loves Inception right alongside Black Swan. Aside from the usual three scoops of geeky goodness, there's the Throwback Thursday retro feature, That's So 80s, as well as a nerdy hypothetical dilemma for you called would you rather art versus popcorn there's also the daily netflix picks plus the raised eyebrow segment digging into the upcoming mad max fury road black and chrome edition let's dig into our three scoops first after a word from our sponsor Our three scoops today are chock full of trailer goodness. The first trailer review is for the new True Story boxing film, Bleed for This, starring Miles Teller. Just like Rocky, this is the story of the underdog. This one, a promising upcoming boxer, is injured in a car accident. His neck is broken. They can put a pin in it and uh, increase the chances of recovery in a less dangerous way but he'll never be able to box again. So this athlete decides to do the unthinkable and risk his mobility to fight in the ring. Miles Teller will have a lot to chew on with this meaty role. He's got to play the athletic part, so he had to physically alter his body, and he's got an emotional task that reminds me of something like Tom Cruise in Born on the Fourth of July. And since this is a true story, we're going to root for him even more. When you see the headgear he has to wear in the day-to-day life and how if he accidentally hits his head on something, he could sever his spinal column, you get a pretty good idea of the stakes involved here. With this sort of serious underpinning and emotional drama, plead for this could be a sports movie done right. I'm thinking more like Creed, less like Southpaw. Although I'm not sure if he'll be able to take on the all-time heavyweights like Rocky and Raging Bull. Teller's proven he could act in the recent Whiplash, which almost felt like an underdog athlete story, except it was about drumming. And he was also really good in The Romance, The Spectacular Now. 
So try and forget Fantastic Four and think more about the promise of Miles Teller. Bleed for this could be the movie that makes everyone take him serious. You can check out this brand new trailer on YouTube. Our next trailer review is for the upcoming large-scale documentary Voyage of Time from acclaimed filmmaker Terrence Malick. While his narratives can get a little poetic, that sort of visual imagery will come in handy for Voyage of Time. If you saw Tree of Life, you might remember that sequence about the birth of the cosmos, looking at Earth's history, including the time of dinosaurs. While this documentary that's been in the works for decades is going to expand upon that sequence, it'll come in two versions, an IMAX cut narrated by Brad Pitt and a longer feature version narrated by Kate Blanchett. The IMAX cut debuts October 7th. And that's what this new trailer shows off. The spectacle here is amazing. If you watch the recent Cosmos show, you know what you're in store for. And you'll probably find this just as interesting. This sneak peek narrated by Brad Pitt gives us just a quick glimpse of what's in store. These special effects are amazing. I think it's Douglas Trumbull doing the effects. The guy that worked with Kubrick for 2001. So these are practical effects, although they might look digital. I think it's all chemical processes caught with uh, actual photography. Terrence Malick is a wizard. His movies might not be everyone's cup of tea, but if you dig on his stuff, they are tasty treats indeed. They usually get a little introspective, but that sort of thematic approach is more appropriate for this documentary when you watch science documentaries on tv they have a limited budget so you rarely get to see something like this on a hollywood budget on an imax screen with this level of talent involved for big nerds like me you gotta stay tuned for more news about voyage of time in the meantime check out this new trailer Our last scoop digs into a really awesome trailer for an upcoming sci-fi Netflix show called Stranger Things. The big hook for me here is the totally 80s vibe. This sneak preview really feels like a Spielberg Amblin production. I'm thinking of his Amblin films like E.T. and The Goonies. This story is about a group of friends drawn into an extraordinary mystery involving top-secret government experiments, terrifying supernatural forces, and one very strange little girl. Things all start going weird when one of their friends disappears. If you're a fan of these 80s family films done right, Stranger Things immediately becomes a must-see. The trailer kicks off with them playing Dungeons & Dragons, the original role-playing game, so I'm thinking this is also set in the way way back another nostalgic shot from retro movies was kids on their bmx's nowadays kids are locked indoors and attached to their screens but back in the day we were allowed to explore and if we were lucky get into supernatural mysteries like this tv show the new trailer just hit the interwebs and the show will start streaming on July 15th, so you don't gotta wait long for this. 
while I mentioned it's all the 80s vibe, like how it feels like E.T., it also has a, a mix of Chronicle thrown in there where you see young kids dealing with powers. While this isn't filled with any stars, I think one of the kids is uh, the little girl from Tomorrowland. She was really good as an android in that movie. The biggest name is Winona Ryder as the mother of our missing child. Once this starts up, it's sure to get everyone talking, and I'm really hoping the Amblin Entertainment vibe of this trailer matches up with the show. If so, we got something special in store. Stay tuned for a review of this show after it premieres. Before we get into today's special features, let's play a little round of trivia. What was the first Amblin Entertainment movie? This is the production company of Steven Spielberg. Put on your thinking caps. Stay tuned for the answer near the end of this episode. For now... Let's hear another word from our cheeky little sponsor. It's Throwback Thursday. Time to get your retro nerd on. Our recommendation this week is part of the That's So 80s special feature. Me and my fellow movie nerd connoisseur, Movie Rob, deconstruct a way back classic talking about all things 80s. If you want to check out the special feature article, hop on over to slipthroughmovies.com. This week we reviewed trading places this retro cult classic has a high laugh per minute it stars eddie murphy dan Aykroyd, and jb lee curtis this is kind of like a takeoff on mark twain's the prince and the pauper where a poor guy and a rich guy trade places it's all because of a bet some rich old white guys made but it provides a ton of jokes and a layer of social commentary. This was one of Eddie Murphy's biggest hits back when he was a huge star coming off of Saturday Night Live. I'm talking about his blockbusters, 48 Hours, and Beverly Hills Cop. He also had some good standalone movies like Coming to America and this one here, Trading Places, where he reunites with his fellow SNL alum, Dan Aykroyd, who plays the straight man, this sort of fish-out-of-water scenario. Yeah, this is R-rated FUD, kind of about how we caught each other and ourselves. J.B. Lee Curtis plays a prostitute who teams up with the boys to deal with this. I won't ruin what happens, because this is a retro classic that a lot of you might not have seen and maybe now you want to check out because this is Eddie Murphy's good R-rated stuff. It's not his Disney-fied family movies. This is back in the day when he was like a stand-up comedian tour de force with movies like Raw and Delirious. If you want to see one of Eddie Murphy's best movies ever, you gotta check out Trading Places. Bonus points 
This movie also has one of the best nude scenes of the decade. On behalf of all VHS teens, thank you, Jamie Lee. Hope you like this quick review. Once again, if you want to get the real deal, hop on over to the website and see what me and Rob had to say. And if you're a true movie nerd, you gotta check out movierob.wordpress.com where there's thousands of reviews and special features waiting for ya. Okay, let's dig into our super dirty hypothetical proposition. Would you rather art versus popcorn? This series asks you if you'd rather watch the top 10 blockbusters of any given year or the best picture nominees at the Oscars. Today we're looking at the year 2010. Each week we hop back and forth from the 80s to the present day, working our way towards the middle. If you want to check out the full feature article, hop on over to slipthroughmovies.com. This podcast edition is streamlined, hitting you with a couple of recommendations from the best of blockbusters and the best of the Academy Awards. Let's check out the popcorn side of the equation first. 2010 was the year of the massive family movie. Toy Story 3 was the number one movie, raking in $415 million domestically. Since nominated for an Oscar, though, it's included over on the art side. It was joined in the top 10 by other family hits like Alice in Wonderland, Harry Potter, Despicable Me, Shrek 4, Tangled, The Karate Kid, and my favorite of the bunch, How to Train Your Dragon. I don't really dig on the Pixar movies or the family uh, cartoons too much, but that one had a good message to it, and it also was lots of fun. So for me, this year's blockbusters aren't all that appetizing. Really, the only one I kind of liked was Iron Man Part 2, which was the number three blockbuster overall the sequel got a little sillier than the uh, grounded original but it was still lots of fun this was the marvel cinematic universe when it was still getting set up uh, before the avengers hit i guess you give it some leeway because uh, marvels just got better and better as they went this one was kind of silly mainly for its bad guy played by mickey rourke Uh, i think his name was whiplash and he had these like electrified whips that, you know, chopped apart NASCARs. Like I said, popcorn's not that crazy in 2010, so there's not there's not a lot of tasty temptation here. However, on the art side, it's full of awesome movies. The Oscar winner for Best Film in 2010 was The King's Speech. There were several that I enjoyed a whole lot more, like 127 Hours, The Fighter, The Kids Are Alright, The Social Network, True Grit, Winter's Bone, and my honorable mention, to make this an even 10 versus 10, The Town, directed by Ben Affleck. The two I want to mention for this podcast edition are Inception and Black Swan. Inception also cracked the top 10 blockbusters, raking in $293 million, good enough for the sixth position. But it was also good enough to get an Academy Award nomination which is pretty rare for a sci-fi mind-bender like this. Christopher Nolan was coming off the Dark Knight movies, and he wanted to push the boundaries. (laughs) He definitely did. 
the concept of this one is enough to hook you. It's about going inside another person's dream to implant ideas. And this is used for sort of corporate espionage. Leonardo DiCaprio plays the best of the best, but he's also dealing with a tragic loss that haunts him through the dream world. What's cool here is we, is we got awesome ideas and awesome action sequences with characters we care about. A lot of the awesomeness comes from the visual flair of this other world and the sci-fi elements. Inception may be a head-scratcher. It may be open-ended and ambiguous. It may be overly complicated. But if you're paying attention and you're on board and you're digging what you're seeing... You're going to have one of your favorite movies of 2010, like me. The best drama for me this year was Black Swan, directed by Darren Aronofsky, the guy behind one of my favorite grim cult classics, Requiem for a Dream. Black Swan is a character study about the effects of pressure uh, leading to mental illness, and a lot of it has to do with what happens in Reflections. Natalie Portman stars as a ballet dancer trying for the lead in Swan Lake. She's got to deal with all the pressures of her competition and the big show. When she starts to go a little nuts, the movie starts to get a little horrifying and turns in unexpected directions. It's kind of like Rosemary's Baby or something. It's very deliberately paced it's restrained where it needs to be and it's shocking at all the right parts i seem to like a bit more edgier movies than the you know softer uh, melodramatic ones like king's speech so if you're into that strange brew too check out black swan and drink it up with this art versus popcorn cinephilian dilemma you got to imagine never seeing these movies and never getting to once you pick your side. So if I got to pick, you know, the top 10 blockbusters full of family movies or the top 10 Oscar nominees, which have several I love, this edition of Would You Rather, I got to make mine art all the way. What do you think? Chime in the comments below or tweet me at SlipThroughNerd. You can also cast a vote on the website. And check out the dilemma in its full glory with shiny graphics. I hope you enjoy it. It's about that time for the Netflix picks of the day. First up, I'm recommending Chelsea Does. This documentary series comes to us from stand-up comedian and talk show host Chelsea Handler. She's not afraid to push the envelope and get a little edgy. And this documentary series tackles on several different subjects, like race, marriage, and drugs. Of course, it's Chelsea Handler, and she knows how to have fun. She's talking about serious subjects and mixing it along with comedy and commentary, just like she does on her on her new talk show, Chelsea. The episode or edition about race was really good she got like the un of race relations around a table and talked seriously with some side remarks with a really important cast of people 
representatives of each race, including Native Americans. And each one gets their own segment in this documentary where Chelsea tours about getting first-hand interviews and talking with the locals uh, that relate to each race. Uh, for example, she'll go to the South to talk about slavery with white people and with black people to get both points of view. She'll also talk with you know, esteemed leaders like Al Sharpton. I think what Chelsea Handler does best is teaches us something while entertaining us. And that's a whole lot better than picking up a textbook, right? So turn on Netflix when you're in the mood to blow off some steam and maybe be provoked in the best of ways to new ideas. I'm saying you gotta check out Chelsea Does. My next recommendation is last year's Oscar-dominated Trumbo. Similar to a documentary, this is a true story about a real historical figure. Dalton Trumbo was a screenwriter back in the heyday of Hollywood during the studio system. He was one of MGM's biggest players, writing Oscar-nominated scripts one after the other. Conflict comes in during the Soviet communism era, where everyone is being accused of being a traitor. Trumbo, along with other screenwriters from Hollywood decide to make a stance and don't see the red menace as a real threat. While this sounds like a heavy historical drama, there is a lot of laughs and a lot of the dialogue is pretty clever with some laugh out loud quips. Brian Cranston leads the way in this, coming hot off of Breaking Bad and getting nominated for his portrayal here of real life blacklisted screenwriter Trumbo. Some of the best parts are when he's typing in the tub and totally disregarding the real world, including his family, no matter what happens. Cranston delivers a great performance and is joined by the likes of Louis C.K., who is really good in this supporting role and probably should have got nominated himself. While the story behind Trumbo and the performances are really interesting and impressive, the structure makes this fall short, at least for me. I know a lot of people love it, so take it for what it is, but condensing a huge story like this into two hours is difficult. It doesn't help when you choose to tell the story across 10 years or something. Um, I don't know what the best way would have been to do this, but the most interesting thing here is the Blacklist Trials and uh, the production of Spartacus with Stanley Kubrick and Kirk Douglas. This was an independent film in the studio system days that broke all the rules, including hiring a blacklisted writer. So for me, the structure could have been more concise or streamlined and focused. It uh, probably would have been better as an HBO miniseries, and it kind of feels like that in Fast Forward. I know this uh, Netflix picks is supposed to be recommendations. I'm not a film snob or anything, right? So I know people out there like this or want to see it and I gotta point it out to you but I'm also giving you a bit of caution it all depends what you like and what you're in the mood for and that's what makes movies so great we all got different ideas about them and we all get different interpretations from them so if you love Trumbo I hope you forgive me <laughs> I hope you get where I'm coming from at least we're getting ready to close out this episode with the final special feature so after these messages, we'll be right back. 
Let's close out this episode with the daily special feature segment, The Raised Eyebrow, for movie news that makes you go, what? Today we're talking about Mad Max Fury Road. There were rumors a while back that George Miller wanted the film to be black and white, so much so that during the editing process, they did just that. But it never saw the light of day. I think it was even rumored that it would play in the theaters. But uh, news came out today that Germany's Amazon site had a new disc edition coming soon. So we don't know when it's going to hit North America, but it probably will. And this new edition is called Mad Max Fury Road Black and Chrome. It's available in this big mega pack, including all the Mad Max films, plus a special feature disc for everyone to enjoy. Mad Max was photographed beautifully. I'm talking about the way the shots were composed even. like Just the framing looked cool. And it also had this operatic quality with the bombastic score and the epic stunt work. Um, it almost felt like a ballet of twisted metal. This was like a roller coaster ride, a wooden one that shook the shit out of you. But will any of that be diminished on black and white? Or will certain elements be more emphasized? I'm also wondering if Miller did some extra surreal tweaks to the film to make it uh, even a little bit more different and uh, more of an aesthetic experience. Uh, I think I even heard that there was a version of the movie that was free of dialogue and just scored to make it seem even more like an opera. Regardless, I mentioned this for the movie nerds out there, the completists, the collectors still want to own physical medium because they want to put it on the shelf and show it off to friends whenever they come over. Everyone's seen Mad Max, but not everyone's seen it black and white, and that might make for a fun summer night on the couch with some buddies and a few beverages. For those of you that can't wait, you can always adjust your settings on your television and turn the color all the way down. I'm sure it'll be much more than that in the actual product, or I'm hoping, because after all, we can do this to any movie, anytime. I remember uh, doing stuff like this when I was younger, just getting into movies, like turning off the volume on a movie to see uh, how the story works or how the performances come across differently. And it does, it really does help you pay attention to camera angles and uh, the whole filmmaking side of things, uh, especially boil down to choices to convey emotions. Another good movie to try, black and white is Inglorious Bastards from Tarantino. Sometimes it helps to have like a film noir retro vibe to put it to black and white because it just seems to feel right with that sort of atmosphere. Although Inglorious Bastards has some striking colors and uh, you know purposeful uses of red, it uh, really is interesting to watch in black and white. And uh, if you're really nerdy like I am, I know that's a big if, uh, why not try your favorite film, whatever it is, in black and white, or like Ebert said, with no sound. If it's a good movie, it should be able to hold your attention all the same. As far as Mad Max black and white goes, let's keep our fingers crossed that it hits North America and worldwide so we can all enjoy it. Before I go, let's answer that earlier bit of trivia. 
where I asked, what was the first Amblin Entertainment movie? If you're like me, and you thought E.T., or Gremlins, or Back to the Future, you'd be wrong. The first Amblin Entertainment film is called Continental Divide from 1981. I know, eh? Say what? I never heard of this movie. It stars John Belushi and is written by Lawrence Kasdan, the pen behind Raiders of the Lost Ark and Empire Strikes Back. So it's unusual that he does a romantic comedy. This one was good enough that uh, it was hyped with Hepburn and Tracy-like chemistry, and uh, Belushi's co-star Blair Brown was even nominated for a Golden Globe. The story is about a newspaper reporter, played by Belushi, who exposed a corrupt councilman. Now, later on, a reporter tracks him down to interview him. I guess a uh, relationship blooms, because uh, all I know is the, what the synopsis tells me. So bonus points if you knew this bit a nerd trivia. Thanks for listening to Cinema Sugar Bombs. Stay tuned for Saturday, where we'll have this weekend in box office history... And the special feature, Pitch This, where I propose a remake, sequel, or adaptation that needs to hit the big screen. Until then, stay retro. Something is coming. Something hungry for blood. What is it? The Demogorgon! We're a deep shit. Now we have to go. Later. See you tomorrow. Good night, ladies. Kiss your mom night for me. Will is is missing. I don't know where he is. Ninety-nine out of a hundred times kid goes missing, the kid is with a parent or a relative. What about the other time? What? You said ninety-nine out of a hundred. What about the other time? The one! The one. Wow! Wow! Guys, I really think we should turn back. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> That's not Will. <laughs>